With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Pooler. And my guest today is uh, Zach Williams. And Zach will be uh, talking with me during the legislative session. And we're going to break everything down for you so that you can have an understanding of what's going on in in Albany. So, Zach, you listened to the State of the State as I did. And Cuomo talked about so many different issues. He talked about guns, opioid addiction, women's issues, styrofoam, um, net neutrality, high-speed rail, vaping, uh, different uh, areas of, of the state getting financial help. Um, veterans issues. So overall, what was your impression of the of the speech? Well, I think the governor really put a lot of focus onto the accomplishments of his first nine years in office, and a key reason why was with a $6 billion deficit, there's just not as much money to go around to pay for a bunch of um, high-profile initiatives like those that he might want. So he's focused a lot more on, you know, positioning himself as kind of continuing the work of, of past years rather than really bringing new ideas to the table. That's not to say that there weren't a couple um, big initiatives that he did mention, a $3 billion environmental um, effort that would be paid for by a, um, a, a bond that would go on the ballot later this year, um, an expansion of paid sick leave throughout the state as well as um, numerous efforts to combat hate crimes, particularly anti-Semitic um, hate crimes uh, across the state. So do you think it was vintage Cuomo, or you think he's uh, toned down a little bit? What's your feeling about the delivery? Well, the governor always likes to mix a lot of kind of uh, – you know, a whole bunch of different policy proposals and then kind of couch them in higher ideals. He did that last year when he attacked President Trump and all, but named in his inauguration address while kind of invoking the names of, you know, Franklin Roosevelt, Al Smith, um, and other mm-hmm. great Democratic leaders from the past. And he kind of ended this speech this year on a similar note, really taking it to the president, positioning himself as, you know, the example of what a democratic government can accomplish and, you know, really showing that in the end, what he wants to do is um, promote policies that appeal to our highest ideals. Whether he meets that standard in practice is another matter, but rhetorically it's very important to the governor's uh, messaging throughout the years. And this year was no different. You know, there's been a number of, Republicans in the Senate that, that said that they weren't going to come back next year. So the possibility of the Democratic caucus in the Senate will increase. Um, I know Andrew Cuomo, as well as Governor Cuomo, I mean, Mary Cuomo, his father, 
kind of felt comfortable governing with a um, Republican majority in the Senate. Do you think he's going to be even more unhappy this year than he was last year with the Democratic majority? Well, I think the governor's in a better political position this year compared to last year. And here's why. Um, You know, this year he's got the deficit and no governor wants to uh, have a budget deficit, but it does provide him a bit of a political advantage over Democrats, especially those in the state Senate. Um, You know, anytime they want to um, propose something that he doesn't like, he can simply say, we can't fund it. We got a $6 billion deficit. He, meanwhile, can pay for a lot of his initiatives through alternative means like using public authorities, a bond measure like what he's using for the environment, and other, and just leaning on state agencies to pursue it with money that's already been allocated. So he's got that kind of a – he's also got formidable budget powers that give him an advantage over the Democrats, which applies to policy as much as um, funding because so many policy ideas are included with the state budget. And just another thing that I think is really important in understanding his political position is all the state lawmakers, Republican, Democrats, Assembly, and the Senate, are up for re-election in 2020. The governor right. is not. He's halfway through his term. He can really, um, you know, he's kind of insulated from public opinion in that regard, whereas we can already see everything going on with the bail reforms, that a lot of vulnerable lawmakers, particularly Democrats from the suburbs in the state Senate, are kind of making sure that they don't get too far in front of their constituents on a few key issues. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, is, do you think there'll be any drama in the uh, state assembly this year? Well, the state assembly, like the Senate, has been, um, you know, that does have feature some divisions within the Democratic majority between the centrist and progressive wings of the party. We've seen that um, not least on the issue of bail and other criminal justice reforms. A lot of these moderate lawmakers, particularly from the suburbs, kind of want to roll back the reforms a little bit, have more crimes um, be eligible for cash bail. Whereas, you know, um, progressive lawmakers, especially those from New York City, want to hold firm, especially since these laws have only been in place for 10 days now. They say it's too soon to change, but um, some of these centrist lawmakers are already getting a little bit antsy. Um, And other, you know, another thing I think is not so much just within the assembly, but how the assembly's role versus the Senate versus the governor. The assembly, as always, remains kind of this bulwark of um, liberalism, much more insulated from Republican criticisms than in the state Senate, where the Democrats' majority depends in large part to incumbent suburbanite senators from the Hudson Valley and Long Island who are, still remain a bit vulnerable to Republican challengers uh, in 2020. So it's very, very unlikely that the Republicans could ever recapture the majority this year, but they could pick up a seat or two, and they're certainly keeping the Democrats uh, a bit nervous in some respects. Uh, the governor mentioned a, a number of women's issues, like the, the uh, pink tax, and uh, the, there's been others that he talked about. So do you think he he put a lot of women's issues in the in the talk? to become more friendly 
with women's groups? Well, I think, uh, you know, this year is a continuation of last year. He had the women's agenda, which included um, all sorts of changes. Probably the most important to a lot of your listeners are changes in in the state sexual harassment laws. Um, You know, this year there are a few different things on the women's health front. Um, You know, one thing was just researching how, you know, women's health issues can be better addressed. And then there's also this idea of the pink tax. That's um, these basically the separate taxes or charges between women's products versus men's products, Um, you know, for um, sanitary products, for example, is, is really what this is going after. So, you know, I think the governor has a pretty long record of keeping an eye on female constituents and the issues that are important to them. This year's state of the state certainly reflected that. Um, and I think more than anything, it's not that the governor necessarily feels that he needs to get more support from women. It's that he always wants to make sure that he keeps the support he has. So um, a number for a few years, um, the he was at odds with the with the constituents, and you know they wanted fracking ban, which he finally you know got done. But there's still the fracking infrastructure in this state. How do you think that's going to play out? Well, the governor has moved more and more towards the environmentalists in the past year. We've seen that um, most um, prominently with the whole um, Northeast um, service enhancement, the Williams pipeline that would go across uh, lower New York Bay. You know, uh, about a year ago, the governor was saying, just leave it to the Department of, of um, Environmental Conservation. A few months later, he was starting to say that he personally opposed the pipeline. Now now he's, you know, firmly um, against it, and so is the DEC. So I think, you know, a lot of um, what he's doing in the state of the state certainly reflects that. As for fracking, there's a couple new um, bills that are coming up. I know that State Senator Rachel May of uh, the Syracuse issue, the Syracuse area, is pushing something where that would um, really that would change the classifications of certain toxic chemicals and waste from fracking and make the importation of them illegal into New York. Some of them are actually used for road product projects and other um, construction projects because they have uses after they become waste. She wants to ban them. She says if the pollution isn't good from the fracking itself, then why is it good later? Another thing to keep in mind is, you know, Governor Cuomo, believe it or not, will not be governor forever. The ban on fracking that he instituted was through executive action. Lawmakers are hoping he can make it permanent, write it into state law this year. So I'm glad you mentioned Rachel Rachel May um, in uh, Syracuse. She she had the proposed municipal broadband, and the governor kind of didn't like that idea because it was too expensive. Um, we talked about, in the city of Albany, we talked about municipal internet. Um, how do you feel about municipal internet and municipal um, broadband on a statewide level? Well, it's certainly a big undertaking. I think if you want to see how that might work out, you might want to keep an eye on it, on one proposal in that state of the state that hasn't gotten a lot of attention, which was promoting universal cellular reception, especially in rural areas. 
if they could get that done, then I think it's, um, you know, you could argue that they could get, um, you know, rural broadband. Politically speaking, it's um, pretty important, especially to a lot of these Democratic Congress, uh, congressmen, congresswomen who have got elected in Republican-leaning districts. Um, Antonio Delgado of the Catskills um, Capital Region area mm-hmm. is one person who's um, spoken a lot about this issue, and I think it uh, really makes sense why he would do that. Um, it certainly matters to a lot of his constituents, and if he could get it done, it gives a really good – it gives him a really good example of something that's not too political – that is rural broadband, um, Republican, Democrats, people want to use the Internet, and it just gives him um, a really good issue to run on. So we'll see how the state um, gets into that mix, while at the same time avoiding putting itself too much on the um, financial hook for paying for it. He mentioned in this state of the state, he talked about high-speed high speed rails, you know that's that's been talked about for a number of years, and it never seemed to go anywhere. Do you think something will happen this year? Well, all they're going to do this year is convene a blue ribbon panel of experts to you know to look at the issue. That's pretty smart from the governor's standpoint, in that um, you know it gets all the attention for talking about high speed rail, an issue that just kind of has a certain hold on the on the um, public imagination. People like to hear about it. They like this idea of being able to travel 100 miles per hour from Albany to New York City or Albany to Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, yeah, certainly the issue could very well get studied. It's not something that's going to cost a lot of money, but I don't think you need to look um, much further than California's experience with high-speed rail to see just how it can, how hard it can be once, um, you know, certain realities step in. I think it was in 2008 or so, state voters passed a bond measure to pay for it. Now, you can't do that in New York with, um, we don't have the same type of referendum system, but voters approved it. And in the end, you know, it was supposed to go from San Francisco to LA. It was booked, you know, you could make that trip in two hours. That's about 400 miles, something like that. And in the end, all they're going to get is a stop or two in the Central Valley, um, which, you know, is not what was sold to voters, billions of dollars spent. It's just really hard to get done, um, not least because it's a democracy. You can't just ram train lines through people's communities without going through all sorts of um, legal maneuvers, eminent domain, condemnation, all those things. Um, you know, and any New Yorker just has to look at the costs of, has to look at the experience and the legacy of Robert Moses to see that even when you get big things done, bridges, highways, all this wonderful infrastructure built, uh, it's very disruptive, can cost a lot of money, and have all sorts of unintended consequences down the road. So I'm not going to – I would say um, keep an eye on this commission and the ideas they come up with, but don't expect high-speed rail anytime soon in New York. There were, he also talked about a bond issue. Can you can you elaborate on that at all? Well, he wants he wants to get, raise three billion dollars to restore um, wildlife habitats throughout the state, streams, forests, that type of thing, as well as improve the infrastructure to control flooding. Quite admirable goals. I don't know why anyone would be against um, you know restoring Mother Nature, as he puts it or controlling flooding, but 
the six billion dollar deficit. I don't think it's any coincidence that he wants to put a bond measure on the ballot, which would mean that the taxpayers are essentially on the hook um, in other ways. Um, we'll see what the specifics of the proposal will be once it's written down. You know, um, typically with these things, it'd be 20, 30 years that that um, the public would be paying off a bond, and that could be done in all sorts of respects, probably through some sort of user fee on the facilities that are affected, um, you know, or, or some other means. So, you know, in the end, it's not going to, it wouldn't be on the state budget, not for this year, but, you know, New Yorkers for years would still be paying it off. No free lunch. Now, um, liberal and progressive uh, activists had uh, termed Cuomo as a one percenter. Do you think he's moving further to the left? And if so, why? Well, Cuomo came into office as kind of a can-do, pragmatic, um, center—you know—centrist who could, you know, control spending but still give liberals what they like on the social front. He's moved more to the left, and it's no surprise. You know, he's a three-term governor. He wants to, you know, he wants to win elections. So, you know, the states become increasingly democratic. So he's reflected that. Now that there's Democrats in control of the state legislature, he really doesn't need to work with Republicans so much anymore. Yet he still makes uh, some pretty solid efforts every now and again to at least try to appeal to left of center Republicans. Um, you know, in the end, uh, yes, he certainly has moved to the center, but, um, you know, he's, he's still in many ways the same uh, Andrew Cuomo that was elected nine years ago. He, he always wants to look like he's um, taking the fiscally prudent um, path. And, you know, that's at him at his best, at his worst. Uh, you know, his actions haven't always matched the rhetoric. Do you think there was anything in this speech that indicated he had, had uh, aspirations for Washington, D.C.? I think the, the strongest indication that Andrew Cuomo was still thinking about his political future post-governor isn't when he was talking about national unity or talking about New York as an example of progressive government. Those things he's been saying for quite a long time. Um, I think tucked in between there was something that, that struck me as a little bit gratuitous um, and not a big issue that people are really talking about, which was using American-made steel in state bridge and tunnel projects. Not, you right. know, I looked it up. New York doesn't have a huge steel industry, um, about 2,000 jobs, three sites, mostly in central New York. Um, so I thought that was interesting. If If the political opportunities ever – opened up and maybe somebody picked him as a vice presidential candidate in 2020 or in, or in 2024, or maybe if he ran for president later on, he could always say that he made a law permanent in New York that required American made steel. I don't know if New Yorkers are going to care about that as much as voters in states like Pennsylvania or Ohio or Michigan or, um, you know, other places where the steel industry and blue-collar jobs like that really have a lot more of a political influence than they do here in the Empire State. The session started, I, w I think, a couple of days late, and it's going to end a few weeks early. So do you think this will be a blockbuster year, or do you think it's 
that hardly anything is going to get done. Well, I think a lot of things are going to get passed this year. Um, you know, last year, things just started at, at such a fast pace, voting rights, um, abortion rights, um, various things that benefit um, undocumented immigrants, um, just so many things. I'm, I'm forgetting that huge climate change legislation, the rent laws, criminal justice reforms. There was just so much um, that had been held up by the previous GOP majority in the state Senate, the Democrats just went all out and passed, um, you know, things on just about every legislative front this year. We've already seen um, a few things that have transferred over. They got this big package on limo safety that they're finally looking to pass this upcoming week. They addressed some voting rights issues um, yesterday. So, you know, other things that I think are coming up are, you know, tweaks to various legislation from last year. Legalizing marijuana is on the um, agenda. Additional criminal justice reforms, particularly limiting solitary confinement in state jails and prisons. You know, it's, I guess it's just important to keep things in perspective. Last year was just such a, an anomaly in recent legislative history. So many things getting passed that I think it's important to keep, you know, that if two or three big pieces of legislation pass this year. In the grand scheme of things in the last 20 years, it uh, would actually be a pretty busy legislative year. This time they're ending a few weeks earlier because the primary season was moved up. So there's going to be more, you know, three and four day weeks in Albany compared to last year. So we'll really have to wait and see if all those days stacked up means that they actually pass more legislation or if it's just such a rush because the days of the legislature are so so much more together that um, a lot of days pass without anything big happening. But I think uh, they're going to keep us political reporters pretty busy in the upcoming months. But last year is certainly a hard act to follow. So Zach and I will uh, have a conversation once a week about what's going on in Albany with the governor and with the state legislature. Zach, as I said at the beginning, writes for city and state. So give a little plug for yourself. Well, I cover the legislature for city and state, as you mentioned. We're the only magazine in New York that covers, um, specifically covers state and local government here in New York. Check us out at cityandstateny.com or where you can sign up to our first read newsletter. It comes out every day, tells you everything you need to know about what's going on in uh, Albany and City Hall here in New York City. Thank you, Zach. I look forward to talking with you next week. You have been listening to Focus on Albany with Zach Williams. And if you like this show, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Thank you. And thanks, Zach. We'll talk again, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great day.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.